Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, feeling very secure in my manhood this morning as I sip from a, was is this a mauve colored cup? Pink? Oh boy, that may be pushing it too hard. I'd call this mauve. She says it's pink. Anyway, welcome to the program. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. You can email me your thoughts, questions, feedback. Yes, even your adoration and praise will be accepted there. And I uh, appreciate from those of you that I hear from um, some regularly. I always read them. Sometimes I just get behind on responding, and I I really do appreciate uh, your thoughts. And on social media as well. I prefer email because social media is whatever social media is. But anyway, I like connecting, and I appreciate the opportunity Uh, To hear from you. So, um, you know, there's a lot, of course, going on. We've got uh, we've got this situation in Texas with the the deep freeze, the power outages, um, people that are freezing to death. We had Ted Cruz actually leaving with his family uh, to go on a trip to Cancun. Of course, uh, catching political pushback, feedback. Uh, blowback, I should say, on leaving during uh, a crisis like like Texas is facing right now. And, of course, there's the political components. There's folks out there that say, see, this is what happens. Got a bunch of Republicans. In fact, what is this? I saw Bet. who was this? Bear with me here. Yeah, Bette Midler. <laughs> you know, anytime I think of Bette Midler, you know what I think of? I think of Seinfeld. Bet I'm a Seinfeld fan. Bet Midler was in Seinfeld. I don't know one of the middle seasons, probably like season four. I don't know what season it was. Kramer was a big fan of Bet Midler, and George or Jerry, one of them was dating. Maybe it was George was dating um, her backup <laughs> when she was in town in, in New York City performing on Broadway. Anyway, that's what I think of when I think of Bet Midler, but. Bette Midler implies, I'm looking here at the Daily Wire, that Texas winter storms are divine payback, divine payback against Cruz and Cornyn, two senators uh, from the state of Texas. So she says this in a tweet. This was tweeted out what, a couple of days ago earlier this week, February 16th. Inept is the wrong word. Talking about... Um, Senators Cruz and Cornyn, inept is the wrong word. Hateful, vicious, cruel might apply. Might all apply. I feel for the people suffering through this weather, but God doesn't seem to like Ted Cruz or John Cornyn. These two also never recognize that Joe won. If this isn't payback, I don't know what is. So payback is how Bette Midler and I'm sure other leftists see this. This is God condemning. Um, Texas, because of who they elected as their as their senators um, for 
I guess not supporting, not acknowledging that Joe Biden won the election by having questions about the electors, by not voting for the Green New Deal. Because, hey, if we vote for the Green New Deal, then problems like this, I guess, um, suddenly stop. You have some people who point out the comparisons, you know, with, you know, California has, has had power outages, black, rolling blackouts for a long time. This is different, of course. There's California. The weather's not like what it's been even as far south. I mean, we're talking far, far south. Terribly cold temperatures. Tragic, terrible situation that we have here. And then Ted Cruz decides, literally he and his family decide to go to Cancun um, to avoid this. Now, look, I there's a lot of things about Ted Cruz uh, that I like. I think Ted Cruz is generally on the right side of things um oftentimes especially when you compare him to to the lunatics that we have on the radical left but he's regretted this he says it was a mistake to try to go to uh, escape the cold as a political as a political leader i find it interesting as we look at this that if Trump was president, it would have been Trump's fault. But since Biden's president, it's not Biden's fault. It's Cruz and Cornyn's fault. I don't know. Is this not also the fault of Democratic Congress people in Texas? There's a lot. I mean, there's a fair amount. There's not anywhere near what there are from the state of California. But there's still Democratic Congress people in uh, in Florida or, excuse me, Texas. So why – I mean, what's the uh, – I don't know why is it this this fault lie at the feet of John Cornyn and Ted Cruz? Why is why is God singling out these two congressmen um, and and punishing? And according to Bette Midler here, if we want to take her word as anything remotely close to serious, why would that be the way uh, that that God is choosing to punish Texans? Uh, I just don't necessarily follow here what it because they had questions about joe biden's electoral victory and in, uh, in november that's the reason does that seem to jibe with what you know i know we have many of you that are christians that understand and know the the bible is this is this <laughs> i just think about when israel had had a king and god was either pleased or not pleased with the actions of a king now of course the senators aren't even kings they're they're representatives of of people um they're they're not the chief executive officer so to speak of the of the nation or even the state that's governor abbott but i don't ever remember god in the bible saying i oppose you because of some technicality meaning you know so you uh, voted for this particular say i don't know uh, you had questions about something a ruler told you so suddenly you're going to face dire consequences god's god's view of what was acceptable and unacceptable in the bible was not i mean they, these were big things it was are you promoting wickedness are you in favor of i don't know things like life and Liberty. I mean, those seem to me. In fact, I'm reading a book right now. I say reading. I'm listening on Audible. By the way, did you know you can get this podcast on Audible? You can. The Todd Huff Show, totally free. But I'm reading this book, listening to this book on Audible called the 
Politically Incorrect Guide to the American Revolution, written by Larry Schweikert and Dave Doherty. <clears throat> and you know, they, 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 hit on, they hit on some of these things throughout the American, American Revolution um, and the, the Christian foundation of this country, which, by the way, is inescapable. The, the founders never wanted you to be forced to be a Christian or for there to be a state church, but to deny that this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles is absolutely undeniable. It is. It's undeniable. You have people, you have, you have historians that try to leave these things out and to distort that history, uh, but it is a pillar of what this nation was, was founded upon. And again, this is not about anything other than simply accepting the truth of how our nation how our nation was was founded here but just thinking about these things and how um you know how leaders are held accountable and bet midler says that texans are being punished for their choice of cruz and cornyn here with this deep freeze for reasons i'm not she doesn't even articulate she doesn't feel like she needs to articulate those it's just so patently obvious in her mind Ted Cruz and John Cornyn are evil because they're Republicans. Because as Republicans, of course, you know that they're racist and homophobic and all these sorts of things. They hate women. They want women barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. This is the storyline. This is the, the narrative. And so anyway, that's what Bette Midler says. So a couple of things I want to do today, and I take an early break, because the first thing I want to do is, is share with you a bit of a conversation with um, with one of our, uh, an organization that we partner with, Shepherd Community Center on the Near East Side of Indianapolis. And Jay Hyde, who's the executive director uh, there, we had him come on the program once a month. And they, they being Shepherd Community, focus on addressing poverty, really trying to address the uh, issue of poverty in our local community here in central Indiana. And they have what they call 10 assets, 10 assets that they try to address and help people um, obtain these assets or grow these assets or develop these assets that help them overcome and break that cycle of poverty. So I want to do that first. Then I want to shift back uh, and talk about the state of the Republican Party. And I want to talk about the fight for control of the Republican Party. And I want to play a little soundbite from Don Lemon, who, by the way, is – I just – he never disappoints me with saying absurd and crazy, wacky things. This is from a couple of days ago, and I've, I've had this in the hopper. I just I haven't had a chance to get to it. But given just, just the, the, the focus here on blaming Ted Cruz and Cornyn for what's happening in Texas, this is God's judgment, says Bette Midler and others on the left – this is, you know, this is the consequence for not embracing something like, say, the New Green Deal. This is for opposing Biden's electors and whatever else, questioning anything that the lovers of big government want to push down the throats of the American people. Um, and you look at why they think that, and that's because of the false narrative being pushed about conservatives and Republicans. And there's this battle for control of the Republican Party. Are we going to return to the party that simply allows this to, to take place? the party before Trump? Are we going to be the party that fights back, defines ourselves, and insists upon having a leader who's not just conservative, but also who is strong and willing to walk through the fire and the daily lies 
that are being perpetrated by the radical left and their cohorts in the media. Dare I say fake news media. Anyway, timeout is in order here. Come back. First, want to play this conversation I had with Jay Height, executive director of Shepherd Community. And by the way, this is important. I think, and this is the reason Jay and I, you know, we worked this this kind of interview series out. I think one of the biggest problems, perceived problems, and I think I say this in our conversation, one of the biggest perceived problems that we have as conservatives is, and it's perceived because it's not it's not a real problem. People just don't understand. But this issue of how do you deal with issues like poverty. If you're not going to have the government come in, swoop in, and fix it, we have to explain. Now, to you and I, that might be obvious why the government cannot do that and why that doesn't work. But to some others, it it doesn't. In fact, they think because we don't have a government top-down solution that we don't care about people. And so I think this needs to be addressed. That's why we do this regularly. And the other big issue here the rest of the day is talking about control the Republican Party is this going to have Trump fingerprints on it? Are we going to yeah, – this is what the fight really is about. Is Trump going to be part of the Republican Party? Is he, is he going to start a third party, which he's originally hinted that he might, but now seems to be wanting to help the Republican Party um, elect people who are uh, conservatives and fighters, I, I suppose you could say. So all that being said, I have to take a timeout. Come back and share my conversation with Jay Height. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. Well, as we do each month, we speak with Jay Hike, the executive director of Shepherd Community Center on the east side of Indianapolis. And- uh, Jay's been kind enough to to make it a habit to to come in and, and to share with us um, really what he and his organization focus on doing, which is you know meeting the the needs of those in uh, in his neighborhood, in our neighborhood here in Central Indiana. And Jay's been reviewing with us ten what he calls assets uh, to help people break the cycle of poverty. And last month we talked about the first today we'll talk about the second jay it's a pleasure to have you back how are you Uh, it's good to be with you it's just a little chilly just a tad bit yeah a little bit snowy out there too so if you can really quickly the first asset for someone that may have missed last week's or last month's discussion what is that first asset and let's let's build off of that and talk about uh, we believe it's faith that faith gives you a hope for the future and uh, and so we we have uh, we don't require you to accept our faith, but we do believe it's important for you to know what drives us, and that the hope that we have is 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 our faith. Absolutely, and we talked in depth about last uh, last time, and folks can go back and pull that episode if they want to hear more. But. Today we're talking about the second asset, and again, to kind of set this up, um, I want to say that I think one of the perceived, and I think it's just perceived uh, because people don't have a proper understanding sometimes, perceived weakness of conservatism is how do we address some of these societal issues like poverty? Some people, I think, erroneously claim that conservatives don't care about folks and, you know, everybody for himself sort of mentality, but 
that's not true. We just don't think that these things should come from government. So you've got these 10 assets. We talked about faith last time. Today, we're going to talk about health. So tell us about the second asset and why that's important for breaking the cycle of poverty. Well, health undermines so many things in our lives. If, if we don't have uh, access to health care, uh, it's, it's a very difficult journey. You know, I say it's our job to help our families move from sick care to health care. And, you know, it can start with healthy eating. And uh, they say the healthiest way to eat is to shop on the outside of your grocery store, just to go along the sides of, uh, of your, the inside of the store. Uh, that's where you're going to find your meats and your fresh vegetables and those types of things. But that's very expensive. And so healthy food and access to healthy food is difficult. Uh, that, that really undermines so much of it. Access to health care and being able to get to the doctor. Uh, they're telling us that in the next five years, many things that happen in the hospital will happen in the doctor's office. And the things that happened in the doctor's office will happen in our home. And we're already seeing that COVID has forced us and maybe some of your listeners have, have experienced a televisit to their doctor. And you, you click in and you talk to your doctor and maybe they prescribe medicine and they go through all of these things. Well, that assumes you have connectivity. And there's still many folks who do not have access to the Internet. And so telehealth is difficult. Or as we're seeing with the COVID and issue, the things that happen to have doctors. connectivity to sign up, right? to be able to go get your shot. And mm -hmm. what if you don't have a device? What if you don't know how to do that? Um, I can remember countless times in, in the later years of my father's life, living in a assisted living place, you know, how many times we had to reset his cable for him because he hit the wrong buttons and we would be somewhere and I don't know what he had done. And you try to figure those things out. Mm -hmm. Well, just imagine <laughs> trying to navigate through an iPad, if you haven't been around an iPad and, and to know how to, to talk to and, and to trust that you can talk to your doctor that way. We have to prepare our folks. And so we really want to help and, and we want them to have health care, not just sick care. And to help them be able to get to their appointments. We've seen a dramatic impact that COVID has had on on uh, the minority community and disproportionately impacted that. And for many reasons, it's because of, of years of poor access to healthcare that has see, been seen then in chronic conditions. I think one of the things we've seen in our neighborhood here in the Near East Side is a lot of folks uh, that um, would have uh, normally been going to their doctor, were afraid to go, didn't have the ability to go to their doctor during COVID. And so uh, they are um, now having issues with their chronic health issues, heart issues. We've lost multiple folks who died from their chronic issues, as well as many who died from COVID. And, uh, and, and so these, these are the things when, when you have years and years of lack of access in and the inability to, to navigate. I, I think of this, um, my father had a rare disease, a, a type of cancer, and I would take him, I would pick him up in Dayton, Ohio, and we would dr uh, drive to 
Columbus, Ohio to the James Cancer Center where a specialist, one of the few in the United States, was treating him. And my dad would tell me all the heart issues he was having and all of the other challenges he was having. We'd get there and the doctor would walk in and he'd say, John, how were you? How are you doing? And my dad say, oh, pretty good. I'm like, what? <laughs> and and so sometimes uh, there there is this intimidation that comes in 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 the, what I call the fear of the white coat, and that the power of the white coat, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm just not going to say things. And and so we're trying to help them realize, uh, you know, doctors and nurses, God has blessed them with knowledge and with access to medicines and things that can help them, and we need to engage with them, but it really hinges on having access to that. So when you say access, is it, is it that there's not clinics and uh, offices that are close enough? Is it that there's a financial obstacle? Is it that there's a lack of comfort and familiarity to where folks are maybe intimidated or just they don't have the education to know to go? Like what, what does that in, encompass, I guess? What do you well, mean by access? it's being able to have a, a clinic nearby when 50% of my neighbors don't have a vehicle. Um, how do you, okay. uh, you know, how do you get there? And you call because your little girl has an earache and they say, well, we're full. And, and so what do you do as a parent? Well, my little baby's crying. I'm going to do whatever I can. And then they end up in the ER and people say, well, why did you go to the ER? Well, I called my doctor. And, and we've actually been advocating and doing trainings with, with clinics to say, help them find another clinic to go to that has an opening. Um, that many times people in poverty live in the present. They're living in today. And so they don't mm-hmm. think of making appointments in the future. Um, and, and so it's, it's really our job to help advocate and, and train the medical community how to communicate better with our neighbors. And then, you know, before COVID, we were transporting mm-hmm. people to their appointments, making sure they got there, reminded them, making sure they're taking their medicine the way they're supposed to. I remember a situation where I showed up to check on a little boy who had been in the hospital. He had got a, a strep throat, but he had gone untreated. He ended up with strep through his body. He almost died. I go, and he's laying there, and, and he has he has uh, vomited. He's got diarrhea, and he's laying on the floor. And I said, what's wrong with him? She said, I don't know. And I said, are you giving him his medicine? She said, yeah, I'm giving it to him six times a day. Um, my wife Early on in our marriage, she was trained as an RN. So I called her and I said, she said, there's no antibiotic. You take six times a day. And this mother who Mm -hmm. did not know how to read was giving her child twice the amount of antibiotic. And it was just devastating, this little guy. And and so there's lots of challenges that come into this healthcare. Uh, It's And it's really on us to try to help build those bridges so that they can access, get there, and, and then to continue to help the healthcare uh, officials know how to best connect with and, and be able to uh, provide the care that our neighbors need. So if someone's listening right now and they think, you know, this, maybe this is, 
you know, clicking and they understand the, the, the problem, the scope of the problem, or maybe they think, you know what, this really, this really speaks to me. I feel this compassion to want to step in and help folks get the health care that they need, help these families in this particular area. What are some things that they can do? Well, I think they could volunteer. You know, one of the things we try to do is if someone's taking medicine, make sure we're calling and following up to see how they're doing and how they're feeling. Uh, you know, the real epidemic that continues to ravage our communities is loneliness. And so we want to stay connected to them. We're going to be a site. Um, we're working with um, the folks uh, in, in the hospital systems to be a site for vaccine for COVID. And, and we're going to be utilizing volunteers to help us do that. Um, and we'll probably be doing that for some time. And so maybe somebody w- might want to volunteer for that. But it also goes to this. Uh, One of the biggest needs that folks, uh, our neighbors have is around dental care. And then we know that dental care has a huge impact on the rest of your health. And so maybe there's a dentist Mm -hmm. who says, you know what, I'll see two patients a month for free. You know, I'll see one a month. Mm -hmm. It's, It's too expensive to build an office, but if we had folks who would say, I'll, I'll agree to, and, and we have some dentists who help us that way. That's another big mm-hmm. issue medically is, is around your mouth and your teeth. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, I admire what you're doing. Keep up the good work. I'm always, you know, it, it, this is, this is very interesting. And I think it's very important to, to step in and to, to fill these gaps that we have um, in solving some of these problems and i appreciate what you and shepherd do so again if folks want to sign up or volunteer tell folks how they can do that specifically where do they go how do they do that they can go to shepherdcommunity.org and there's a volunteer page how to get engaged they can call us at 317-375-0203 jay i appreciate it very much sir thank you so much and god bless you and thank you for what you're doing thank you todd Back, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with our friend Jay Height, Shepherd Community. Again, they do great work, and I really, um, I really think that they, from the conservative perspective, and I'm not pulling them into politics, but just it, the what they do is a great help towards um, helping those in need without involving our government, and that is a good thing. They do great work. So anyway, um, by the way, I wanted to mention, too, this program is brought to you in part by our friends at Carriage House Woodworking. Carriage House Woodworking, they are – there's two locations. One is in Plainfield. The other is in Martinsville. And they can help you find affordable cabinets and countertops. And also, if you're a contractor and looking for someone to help with these particular needs on your jobs consider reaching out to our friends at carriage house woodworking you can find out more information by visiting them online chwe inc.com chwe carriage house woodworking inc.com 
and you can find out more information about them. So I appreciate them. I appreciate all the, the sponsors and advertisers that make this program program possible. So I told you before I shared the interview with um, with Jay, our conversation there, that I was going to do one other thing today, and that was talk about really the state of the Republican Party and what happens next for the Republican Party. And there's a lot of articles, a lot of things going on um, out here, out there, pertaining to who's leading the party and what direction it goes and all this. In fact, you'll find headlines like this, Fox News from a couple days ago, Trump trashes Mitch McConnell in searing new statement. You'll find Jeff Flake. Oh, yes, Jeff Flake writing an opinion piece at CNN. I always have to throw in Jeff Flake. This guy, this guy is something else to me. But Jeff Flake writing an opinion piece on CNN says this headline of their, or the title, I guess, of the piece. It's time for the Republican Party to move on from Trump. Trump says, of course, and this is part of Trump's remarks about Mitch McConnell, but Trump says the GOP will not win with Mitch McConnell. And according to a survey, which again, survey, poll, whatever you think about these things, but nonetheless, this is being reported by the National Pulse, Trump approval rises amongst Republicans following the impeachment proceedings. 59% of Republican voters said that they want Trump to play a major role in their party going forward. That's up 18 percentage points from a morning consult poll conducted on January 7th and an increase of nine points from a follow-up poll on January 25th before the impeachment trial begins. This is uh, began, I should say. This is from a political article. I'm looking at the National Pulse. They're the ones that uh, where I found this, but Politico is the one that reported on it. So there's this, and, and we knew this is this is by the way never going to end. This is. I wish more people, and I I know the vast majority of you know this, but this I, I've said this before. I say this to friends. I say this to to family. I've said this to my wife. We have to fully accept that we are going to be engaged in political, I'll say conflict, nonviolent, for those of you that don't like too many words out there that could be misconstrued as something else. So it's completely nonviolent, just standing up and defending, articulating, fighting. Dare I say fighting? Can I say that? Is that inciting a riot? But fighting for the principles of conservatism, standing up for the foundational principles of this country. This is going to be around for the rest of our lives. I don't even care how old you are listening to my voice, except that this is never going to go away. There will be ebbs and flows. There will be ups and downs, peaks and valleys. But this fight for constitutional conservatism is never, ever going to end. And I'll tell you why. It's because the nature of government is to grow. The nature of government is to grow. In order to keep it where it needs to be, we have to continually fight for that idea. We have to fight the urge that people have to grow this, to make it – and it's it's grown massively. In fact, it's grown so massively that the average person – if they understood what the founders envisioned this nation to be, what limited government really looks like, they probably would 
almost pass out. Maybe they would pass out. I don't know. Like being at a Obama rally circa 2007 when he was making people faint in the audience. I don't know. But I do know this. This fight is not going anywhere. And there's multiple fights. One of those fights is who's going to control the Republican Party. Is it going to go back to what it was before, run by a bunch of wimps and weenies who are all too eager to compromise with the left and to, you know, like the Mitt Romneys of the world, like the Jeff Flakes of the world, compromise in the sense, and I'm not saying all compromise is bad, but I mean when you compromise principles, it is bad. Are we going to go back to that when we go liberalism light on all of these things? Or are we going to actually have a fight uh, in the party? Are we going to have someone like Trump? Or maybe it still is Trump. I don't know. In 2024, and we've got a midterm election here in a couple of years as well. But anyway, talk about those things after the break. Got to take a quick time out, though. Sit tight back here in just a minute. Welcome back. So, 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 um, want to play this soundbite, this clip from Don Lemon. Good old Don Lemon. Don Lemon is basically, uh, I, I just, I just want you to, well, I'm having a hard time finding this thing here, but Don Lemon is basically, um well uh, doing what the left often does with the Republican party Don Lemon is uh attacking Republicans for being here it is took me a second to find this guy but he's having a conversation again as like I guess is when they pass this off between between segments um but he he's portraying the Republican Party. He's praising in part Adam Kinzinger. That's Adam Kinzinger's in the group that wants to kind of return um this is my interpretation, return us back to the uh, leadership that's not that's not Trump, right? So I, I want you to hear this, this little back and forth. Something does not exist and that you're not doing it. And um, I'm sure that you've seen Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, who voted to impeach. He voted to convict Donald Trump in his second uh, impeachment trial for inciting the riot. He's now being shunned by his own family. And it's not just a matter of sort of a private division. It is a letter. I mean, it is something that they wanted to do very publicly. This has been signed by 11 of his family members. And granted, this is a big family uh, in Illinois. So these are, you know, family members he might see at you know, events here or there, right? But they're family members. And they wrote this, Adam, oh my, what a disappointment you are to us and God. We were once so proud of your accomplishments. Instead, you go against your Christian principles and join the devil's army, Democrats and fake news media. And I think, you know, one of the reasons, Don, that this stands out so much to people is because there are families all across the country that have been divided like this. I mean, they have just been torn apart by what is true and what isn't true and having different opinions of of that there's don there's so much there when it comes to um that letter mm-hmm. adam kinzinger kinzinger and and um republicans and uh trump supporters as a whole 
Trump supporters have taken over the Republican Party. The Republican Party can no longer say that they don't agree with the insurrectionists, with what? the bigots, with the racists, with the white supremacists, with the anti-Semites, because that's what about? they have clearly shown through their actions, especially How? over the last five years. Because uh, we didn't that, impeach? With him showing that letter, it's, uh, you know, first of all, they, they should probably figure out what Christianity really means. Oh, tell us, and Don. I think that... Um, for, I would love to ask Adam Kinzinger that, but he has so far refused to come on the show and, and take questions. But I would like to ask him where were he, and, and I'm glad that he's doing it, don't get me wrong, and I think we should take people sound where like they it. are uh, and then move forward. But I want to know where Republicans <laughs> like Adam Kinzinger and Liz sure. Cheney and all of the others, where they were when this stuff was festering in the Republican Party for years where people who even before them, when they were when it was the, the welfare queens and the Willie Hortons and the Tea Party and the, the effigies of Barack Obama and the bones in his nose and the um, uh, wasn't born in this country, the birtherism and all of that and all the little things that led up to this moment, where were they? And I think that people need to really answer for those things because we have to start at the beginning. We can't just start with what happened on January 6th, because that was what? A symptom, a culmination of something. Okay, I'm just out of time. But that's how they portray this. That's how they're going to portray this. That's how they determine you know, how they look at you. That's how they look at me for those that aren't part of the, well, the establishment wing of the Republican Party. So time out is in order. we got to take a break, come back and wrap up. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. I want to say really quickly here, I just want to say thank you for those that um, that reached out to me yesterday. Yesterday was a very, very difficult program, and I really tried, and I'm, I'm sorry for, um, I don't know, not being able to completely hold myself together a couple of times when talking about Rush. But his impact on me, on this nation, uh, is, is truly profound. It is profound. Folks, I, I find myself wondering, without a Rush Limbaugh, would there have been a Donald Trump? Would there have been a Fox News? Would there have been um, any semblance of a conservative movement? I don't know. He definitely impacted it in a mighty, mighty way to the point where it may not even exist today with it without his influence and fingerprints. So anyway, I've got to go. SDG. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. Take care.